Park Hopping Podcast number 69, Disney Travel Tips. Celebrating 11 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 69, the podcast that proves anyone can have their own podcast. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast, recorded live from Des Moines, Iowa, where the current outside temperature is 12 degrees, thanks to a big Midwest ice storm. My name is Alan, and today I'll be your host for another exciting installment of this podcast. Those of you who follow my DisneyFans.com site may realize I just returned from a vacation to Disneyland. I was out there from Thursday, December 6th to Tuesday, the 11th. And it had been two years since I'd visited the park. That was in uh, December 2005. So I was pretty excited to get back and see what all had changed. Now, when I used to travel for work, I was uh, able to get out to Disney parks on both coasts several times each year. But since about 2001, all my trips have been for vacations. And I stopped going to Walt Disney World completely after 1999 and was focusing entirely on the Disneyland Resort in California. Now, typically, I'd try to make a Christmas season visit and a normal season visit, usually trying to avoid the peak summer months when school is out and the crowds are much worse. I think the only summer visit I've made in recent history was actually the July 2005 50th anniversary celebrations at Disneyland, and I'm pretty sure the last summer visit I made to Walt Disney World was back in the 80s when I was in high school and we'd typically go over summer vacation. But I digress. First off, a few comments on booking a trip to Walt Disney World or Disneyland, and then I'll uh, share some tips I use for booking my vacations. The easiest and most expensive thing to do is simply call Disney and let them handle everything. If you don't have any worries about how much things cost, this is certainly the nicest option. But since I personally don't have a money tree growing in my backyard, I've never been able to justify doing this. One night in one of the nicer hotels on Disney property, just one night, costs more than what I usually have to spend on an entire week of hotel and car rental. The second easiest option is to call a travel agent and let them book everything for you. They can find cheaper hotel alternatives and often have special discount rates or codes they can use. This is certainly worth looking into for folks who don't know what they're doing when it comes to vacation travel. But keep in mind, a travel agent has many clients, and they won't necessarily be able to spend as much time as it takes checking all the different combinations of rates and details to find you the absolute best deal. So for those of you who are trying to get the most bang for their buck, here's what I do. Now, your mileage may vary, of course, but this has worked for me on every trip I've ever taken. First, when it comes to booking airline tickets, when I'm not using frequent flyer miles, I've uh, used the internet, of course. I've tried endless sites such as Hotwire, Travelocity, Orbitz, Expedia, Cheap Tickets, Priceline, and probably many others that aren't even in business anymore. I've even used pay services like Great Fun and even a travel service that's part of my timeshare benefits, and every time I end up using Travelocity. Now, I'm not sure why it is, but generally, Travelocity seems to be a few dollars cheaper than everyone else, sometimes even more, and usually for the very same flights. So what I suggest to do is visit Travelocity and search for the specific dates you want. Now, if you can be a little flexible by a day or two in either direction, you should be able to find a good deal on the plane ticket. And once you have a departure and return time that you like, do the same search on a competing service or two, and just make sure Travelocity is the best bet for you. So typically just picking out a few of the travel services to compare will be enough to give you the ballpark of what you should expect to pay for that ticket. 
Now, if you don't care when you fly out, you just have a day, and you don't care about what airline, you might want to go with Hotwire.com. You might uh, also just have luck with Priceline, but Hotwire has always found me cheap flights, always, even a week before. The problem is you don't know when the flight is going to be. Will it leave at 5 a.m. and have a three-hour layover and get you there by midnight? You know, and so when I when I go to my stay, I don't like losing an entire day just for travel, and I don't like the thought of having to add an extra hotel night and car rental. So for this reason, I don't use Hotwire personally. I try to find the earliest flight out so I can land and then actually spend nearly a full day in the parks. Just know that if you use Hotwire, you might end up losing as much as two days of your vacation if your flight out gets you there late at night and your flight home has you leaving at 6 a.m. so you can't even spend a few hours in the parks before heading to the airport. Another tip, when searching for flights, pay attention to layover time and the total travel time of the flight. For my most recent trip, I found a 5 a.m. flight out that got me into Orange County around 11 a.m. That's not bad until I realized there was a 6.30 a.m. flight out that also got me into Orange County at the same time. The travel time was longer for the first flight because both left at different times from the Des Moines airport, but they ended up using the same second flight to get to California. So instead of getting up an hour and a half earlier and spending an hour and a half longer in the Minneapolis airport, I chose to go with the second flight and sleep in a little bit more. So watch out for stuff like that. A lot of times you'll see a whole listing of flights. Uh, one of them will have maybe a seven or eight, eight hour duration and you might find another flight at the same price that's five hours so you can get there a lot quicker. Uh, likewise, when comparing prices, a $200 round trip may seem like a great deal, but if it takes 11 hours, and you can spend $207 and get there in six hours and have some extra time in the parks, well, it might be worth spending the extra seven bucks. To me, I'd gladly pay $7 and just not to spend an extra hour or two sitting in an airport waiting for a connecting flight. Um, the next part, of course, is looking into um, combining things together on the same itinerary and getting a discount there. Travelocity and other services will offer reduced rates if you also book a hotel or car rental at the same time. Now, here's where I don't like using Travelocity. For picking some random hotel, it's not a bad way to save money. I've used Travelocity hotels the past two trips to Florida, and both were okay for the money. You can see photos, look at maps showing where the hotel is, and read reviews, find out how far away it's going to be from the park, and if it has easy access to the interstate or whatever. And if you find any negative comments, keep in mind, even if that comment was based on one lousy room with a broken bathtub, you could possibly end up in that same room. But if you trust the reviews, I found that these deals are pretty unbeatable. By booking my ticket to Florida and uh, using the hotel that Travelocity uh, found for me, I effectively stayed for seven days in Florida for about $50 at a Howard Johnson's. Plus tax, of course. But, but that's how it broke down when I looked at the original price just for the flight and taxes, and then I looked at the new price with the hotel included. There was more taxes on top of that, of course, but it's hard to complain about a week's stay in a hotel for less than the price of one night there if you called the hotel directly to book. Now, I have no idea why these deals exist, but I've booked during Halloween holiday time and Christmas holiday time, and I've found great deals both times. And it also doesn't hurt to call the hotel up directly and see if there might be a different uh, deal that they can do for that as well. Sometimes the hotels will have something special going on that the online services don't offer, but in generally, I found them more expensive. Uh, when it comes to car rentals, I have uh, discount cards through my work. 
and I have special online frequent renter offers and special rates for my Visa card, and all this is fine, but none of those discounts, even combined discounts offered by Travelocity, compete with Hotwire.com. Because of this, I always book my car rental through Hotwire. Now, Hotwire has two ways you can do this. You can pick the exact rental agency you want and get a price, or you can let them pick one for you and you get a much better price, a significantly better price usually. Now, here's the problem with this. At some airports, there are car rental agencies with pickups at the airport. You can actually go get your car right there. And there are others that are away from the airport and you have to take a shuttle bus to get to them. I know I can save money by booking with Payless Car Rentals in Orange County because I've done it but I've had to wait for a shuttle to pick me up and also bring me back to the airport. This may not be a huge deal, but adding an extra 30 minutes or more to my day or possibly missing my return flight because of traffic and then being delayed getting back to the airport, well, that can really ruin a vacation experience. So, to save time and get you to the park as soon as possible, make sure you know what car rental companies are actually at the airport terminal. Orlando and Orange County Airport websites actually list what car rental companies are at the terminals. And when I saw that all the rental places Hotwire offered me for Orlando or Orange County were at the terminals, I was okay letting them just pick a price. But they uh, could add a new company that is off-site, or one of the existing ones could relocate, so it's a good idea to spend a few minutes researching um, before you reserve a car for your upcoming trip, because things have changed. There's, uh, there used to be a lot more rental counters in, um, in the airports than there are now. So, with that said... I will probably not book this way on my next trip to Orlando because of a rather unfortunate experience I had this past November. So here's the exception. We picked up a rental from our randomly selected hot wire rental car company, which happened to be Alamo, and away we went. We got to choose a PT Cruiser, which turned out to be a far less fun car to drive than I thought. Anyway, it had a slow leak in one of the tires, and after noticing this and filling it up when driving to the hotel after our first day at the park, and then noticing it was low again the next day on the way to the parks, I, I knew I was going to have to call and get the tire fixed or get the car switched out or whatever. Now, as it turns out, Alamo is the official car rental company for Walt Disney World, and they have a terminal on property. We'd actually stopped at the gas station on property uh, to fill up the tire the first night and didn't realize there was an Alamo rental center right there. It took one quick phone call, and they instructed me to drop the car off at the Alamo Center and just get a new one. So the whole process, from the time I pulled in and walked into the counter, took about five minutes, and soon we were back on track for the vacation. So because you never know what might happen, I now think that I'll be using Alamo, or whoever has the on-site rental business in the future, for all my Disney World trips. It would have been a real pain if I would have had to wait an hour somewhere for a service call or whatever, or worse, had to take the car back to the airport to swap it out. Now, since Disneyland doesn't have any on-site rental agencies, I'm not too, too concerned about it there, but maybe in the future I might look at who has rental locations uh, close to the Disneyland Resort. So, anyway, that's just a tip based on my experiences two months ago in Florida. So, with Hotwire, I routinely get my cars for around $13 a day. This last trip, the first time it quoted me a price of $17.95 a day or something like that. And when I clicked to add it, I got a box that said something like, Great news! The price has dropped to $15.95. I didn't end up booking that day because I was just researching. And when I went back the next day, the new price was $15.95. And when I added it, it gave me an even lower rate. So I don't know what the prices on Hotwire are based on, 
but it might be worth checking a few times to see if you can save a few bucks. I just know that ultimately I got a $99 rental from Budget, while my work discount card with Hertz would have been $225, so a big savings there. Between saving on hotel, car rental, and airline tickets, I could now afford to spend a whole extra day or so on my vacation, or just eat more, or buy more Disney stuff. So uh, that's what I chose to do. Now that we've saved some money getting there, let's talk a bit about theme park tickets. Since 95, I've had an annual pass every year to either Disneyland or the Walt Disney World Resort, or both of them. I'd usually get three visits out of the pass by going towards the end of May, for instance, when I got the pass, then going in December the same year, and then making one final visit earlier in May the following year. By squeezing in three visits on the same pass, the cost per visit goes down quite a bit. It's generally worthwhile to have an annual pass even if you only make one visit a year provided you can time the trips to make both visits in the same 365 day period that an annual pass is good for. Effectively, you're buying an annual pass every other year and squeezing your trip a year in that way. So first, a few comments about Disney passes. At Walt Disney World, you start out with a base ticket that gets you into a single park. Then you can add on different options. One option allows park hopping between the four different parks there on the same day, which is great because you inevitably are at a park that closes at 7 or 8 p.m. while Epcot stays open a few more hours, and you might want to go over there and hang out or have dinner and, you know, get a lot more out of your day. So it's, it's worth it to get a park hopper if you want to make the most use of your time. Another option makes it so any days you don't use never expire. So if you buy a 10-day pass but only plan to use 6 days, the remaining 4 days can be used years later when you return. So for anyone who plans to return to Disney World at some point in the future, but not within the same year, buying the longest length pass and adding the no expiration option is, is probably, well, I'm pretty sure it's always the best way to go unless Disney starts lowering the ticket prices or stops raising them. And that so far hasn't actually happened. Though I think when they first started offering the new Magic Your Way ticket options, the base price did look like it was lower, but you had to spend more money to get back options that used to be free, like no expiration. Disney tickets sold after the coupon books went away. Tickets sold in the 80s and 90s before this new system, um, they never expired. And Disney would mention this to you on the monorail spills as if it was um, there to let you know you should come back. You know, don't throw away your tickets. We want you to come back. So you can bet prices won't be going down. So having these unused days is only going to be a better savings down the line. If you're going to make a five-day trip, buy the 10-day pass, add no expiration, and you've got your next trip covered if you come back for five more days. And you're going to save considerable money over what they're going to be at the gate in a year or two. Each time I visit, I try to take a photo of the ticket price signs at either park, and this gives me an easy way to look back at how much prices have gone up from year to year. Um, you can find these photos mixed in at DisneyFans.com. In 2005, for example, the premium annual pass, the highest end pass at Disneyland, was $329. In 2007, that same pass is now $379. Now, for the mathematically impaired, that's an increase of $50 in two years. The higher multi-day park hopping pass Disneyland list on its website, uh, the, the highest, I should say, is, um, is five days. But they do offer longer passes. They offer a six-day pass for $239. But for $20 more, they offer a deluxe annual pass. The deluxe annual pass is good for a full year, but it has about 50 blackout days where you can't go into the park using the pass. That includes things like weekends and peak summer months and other days that are tied to holidays like Christmas or spring break. 
So, for $379, I can get a premium annual pass that has no blackout days, and it also includes parking, which the Deluxe Pass does not. Since there were no blackout days during my visit on either pass, I could have used a Deluxe Annual Pass for my recent trip. Since I was going to be there six days, parking at $11 a day would have been $66. So even the Deluxe $239 Pass plus a $66 parking fee would have been about $305. And uh, so it would have been cheaper than the, the high-end pass. And if I had just the Deluxe Pass and returned during a time where there were blackout days next year, Disney would sell me a one-day ticket for 40 bucks, or you can pay the difference and just upgrade at that time to the uh, higher-end premium pass that has no blackout days. Now, here's something Disney has changed. In the past, they used to prorate this upgrade fee. So if you upgraded next year a week before your deluxe pass was set to expire and you went from a deluxe to a premium, the fee was very, very small because you were just paying a prorated fee based on the days you were going to get to use it. But today, they charge the full price difference. And, and sometimes I wonder how much extra money all these minor price increases are generating for the company. Because I imagine it's, it's pretty substantial. Like their uh, gumbo they used to sell. You could save a few bucks by getting it without the bread bowl. Well, now you can get it without the bread bowl, but they charge you just as much and you don't get any more soup. Anyway, I, I bought the premium pass for myself, which included parking and also has discounts of 10 or 15% within the park. I was really surprised um, last year when I discovered the Disney World Pass didn't offer any merchandise discounts at the parks. I was told that the only place to get merchandise discounts was the World of Disney store in downtown Disney. And at Disneyland, any purchase for merchandise $10 or more saves 10% using either of these passes. So that $22 shirt suddenly comes out to be, you know, less than $20. Food is also discounted at Disneyland at both sit-down and table service restaurants, and even at many of the counter service places. The premium pass gives 15% off and the deluxe pass gives 10%. So during my entire six-day visit, the only places I didn't get a discount was the Mint Julep Bar, a little walk-up counter for drinks, and a Royal Street Veranda counter in New Orleans Square. And it may simply be that the walk-up counters don't offer the discount, but every other place where you got food on a tray with serving stations and, and uh, things like the Mexican food place in Frontierland, they all seem to honor the discounts just fine. That didn't used to be the case. Years ago at uh, Disneyland, only the sit-down table service restaurants accepted the discount. So at California, oh wait, uh, also at the downtown Disney in California, many of the non-Disney stores also honored the discount. There were jewelry stores and other places that would give like 10% off to having a pass. So that's a nice little bonus. Uh, so, so during my six-day visit, my general spending on food and a few trinkets, um, just you know, nothing out of the ordinary, it, it still saved me quite a bit of money. I don't have it totaled up yet, but if you add that and the $66 I saved on parking, I know I saved a bundle during this visit just because of the premium annual pass. And because of these savings, I really suggest that one person in a group visiting Disneyland buy a premium pass. Even if you don't plan to return within the year to use this pass again, a family of four could make up the difference in discounts between like a six-day or a deluxe pass and the premium pretty easily. Any diehard Disney World fan out there who might be thinking about a trip out west should consider this as well, especially if you think you might go home with some $300 limited edition souvenir. I can't. I don't have the money tree. I mentioned that. So it doesn't take too long for large purchases like that to save you enough money 
uh, plus parking and all that versus just buying a regular ticket. Plus, you get a nice little plastic card. At Disneyland, they've got your photo on it and a little uh, barcode type thing on it, and it's an actual plastic card. At Walt Disney World, they're kind of the plastic paper things that just have, you know, your name on it. Anyway, in my situation, I was going to just buy my girlfriend a normal park hopper ticket, but Disney didn't list a six-day pass on the website, so I asked about it at the ticket booth, and they did have a six-day pass listed, but it was only $20 more to get her a deluxe annual pass with the discounts and all that, so that's what we did. The deluxe pass didn't include parking, but since that was covered by my premium pass and I was the one driving, it worked out just fine. So that's a bit about how I book my travel and what kind of theme park tickets I buy when I visit Disneyland or Disney World. Admittedly, without the discounts at Walt Disney World, uh, it's a harder call to go to the annual pass versus just buying a, a big ticket unless you know you're going to return in 365 days. So that's what I use to decide with Walt Disney World. For Disneyland, pretty much anybody that plans to buy anything and is going to be paying for parking, I say at least get an annual pass for one person in your group. Since I want to keep this short, I have a full Disneyland report to post with some audio from this past Christmas on the new Christmas displays on the castle and a bunch of things that I noticed that were changed between the time I was there last year, like the Finding Nemo submarine voyage, the updates to Pirates of the Caribbean, the changes in the Haunted Mansion holiday this year. So I'll be back soon with a full holiday episode and I'll talk more about this. But for now, speaking of photos at Disneyland... The next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 53,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks, and I'm about to add a little over 3,000 new Disneyland photos. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at disneyfans.com. And if you'd rather use the telephone, you can dial 206-2030-ACP. That's for another crappy podcast. 206-2030-227. And leave me voicemail. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 69, Disney Travel Tips. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. And I'll be back real soon. Another crappy podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. If my internet connection was working right now, I could upload this, but I think the ice storm's taken down the DSL line. So uh, if you're hearing this, assume that my net connection came back. In the meantime, on this trip, I took a ton of pictures trying to get some of Disney's California Adventure before it gets uh, majorly redone. Also carried around a little GPS tracking device attached to my camera bag that will supposedly record the location of all the photos I took. I, I did that for the Walt Disney World trip as well, but I, other than posting some maps to Google uh, that showed where I went through the park, I haven't really done anything on that. Uh, you know, don't you wish I had an internet connection so I could quit talking and upload instead? see what else I uh, shot a couple of hours of high-definition video uh, unfortunately the new camera I have which was camcorder of the year in 2005 a high-definition camera ran about two thousand dollars is crummy in low light so it constantly goes out of focus and the pictures aren't nearly as bright as as the one that I bought back in 1999 
talk about a few steps forward and a few steps back, so uh, at least it'll have really good surround sound, high-quality audio for a future podcast. Assuming I ever get around that, I still got a bunch of stuff from my Disney World trips that I have yet to sort through, and stacks and stacks of tapes from the last uh, eight years that I also still haven't gotten to. Well, maybe one day, one day. That might be my New Year's resolution, as I, I might vow to actually get some of this posted right there. Uh, just me. Can anybody hear that noise in the background? That's the Roomba deciding to vacuum on schedule when I'm recording. Get up and go turn it off, but I don't have anything better to do. It's just a podcast, right? Oh, look! A waffle. 